Father, we're just uh, so grateful that you are the King of glory. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're here. You may be invisible to our eyes, but you are present. And uh, it's the eyes of our hearts that we must see you with. And we're asking you, Father, cleanse our eyes. Help us make that shift from what we have experienced in this life and what the world's done to us and our understanding of it and help us get across that Jordan into the new life, the life that is defined by you, Jesus, by your work and by your Holy Spirit, that we would agree with you, that we become more familiar with who we are in you than we are with who we are outside of you. Lord God, we just, we, we've got to see you, Jesus, high and lifted up as you are, and we've got to believe as you speak. We've got to be eating from the bread come down from heaven in such a way that we become what it is, that we become little Christ, that we look like you. And so, Father, I'm asking you for grace in this period of time, in this, this phase shift of time, this strange, world-changing time. Uh, may we see you brighter and bigger and better, more magnificent than we could possibly imagine, and may we just be fixed upon you as the lover of our souls and as our eternal king, and may we call ourselves sons and daughters of God. Lord, we love you and we praise you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be in Joshua, book of Joshua tonight. And uh, I actually, as I was going through my notes, I have very little actual scripture, which that really bothered me. By the time I figured it out, it was too late. Uh, however, I am going to be talking about uh, the wilderness wandering and the transition from the wilderness into the promised land is really where I'm going uh, this evening. Um, every new season of history in history has threatened the body of Christ's existence. If you do any type of study as to how this has all panned out, even going all the way back to Abraham, everything that God has done has always had a countermeasure that the enemy is bringing against it. His, his entire objective is to eliminate it, stop it. Okay, So for the last 2,000 years, every threat has been answered by the emergence of a bride called forward by passion and purity as the true spirit of God finds vessels that have said yes to Jesus, truly said yes to Jesus, truly filled with the one spirit. And that's what history has shown us. They said yes to Jesus, not to services or programs or buildings or a paycheck or any type of social uh, guidelines but to Jesus himself that's what history has shown us every season has been similar in this the threat is real but it's always been designed to destroy the religious activity that all humans are prone to we're prone to pick these religious activities up and with traditions and practices that aren't bad in and of themselves but they end up losing their purpose in reconciling the world, world to God. And they end up hiding the bride of Christ's beauty from the world. And so each time these 
types of events come upon the earth, the enemy's objective is to eliminate. God's objective is for the bride to find her bridegroom once again, for the passion, for the purity, for the true Spirit of God to fill these vessels and then a shift occurs. And so it becomes a cleansing of sorts. And I really honestly see this, what we're going through, as that. I think we are seriously going through a phase change that's going to require true faith to enter into it. Because the reasons why we do what we do in human history is that it's just more comfortable to not risk. It's more comfortable to get into tradition and get into familiar patterns of behavior and get into things that don't, don't uh, expect much from us. And so in that, we are just human like humans are, but God is God, and we can expect him to do God-sized things as we cry out for him to do it in us, do it again, do it again, Lord, do it again in us. And so looking at the, the book of Joshua, I, got, I, I may explain how I got there today. Um, but, but looking at, at the book of Joshua, beginning with chapter 1, the people of God under the leadership of Joshua. Moses has just uh, died. So the people are standing on the edge of the promised land, looking at the beauty and the bounty of what that land looks like and what that land has to offer. At the same time, though, they're also looking at uh, heavily walled cities and giants. God was going to have to move, but they were going to have to believe in him and believe that who God said they were was who they were. More than conquerors, possessors of promise, sons of God, not slaves to the enemy any longer. Okay, so that sets the stage for where we are in the book of Joshua. Let me back up, though. Let's take a bigger picture, uh, get a bigger look. It's going to give us a context and help us understand where these people have come from. We, we back up 40 years. Moses is now in Egypt. And they're going through that process of the, of the plagues coming and, and God moving, shaking uh, their very world heavily to set them free from Egyptian slavery. And so after they get through, they're finally released. They're getting through the Red Sea. That was that final thing that, found, that said it's over. They're, they're not coming. The, they just got, the, the enemy just got swallowed up. They're on the other side. Miriam starts singing a song. You know, they're worshiping. Oh, uh, you know, look what God has done. This was the problem. They were supposed to head straight for the promised land, right? This was supposed to take days, not years, certainly not 40. They were supposed to go directly to this promised land that was given and begin the process of taking it for the Lord. We know that didn't happen because of unbelief. Now, here's the problem. Being fair to these, these human beings like you and I are, is this is an identity that was very much ingrained in them, the slavery that they'd endured, uh, 
uh, a lifetime of it, and generationally so, 400 years of it. It's all that they'd known. It's all that their grandparents, great-grandparents, all the way back had known for, for many generations to this point. And their identity was in slavery, not in being special, peculiar sons and daughters of God who could step up to the powers of the world and watch those powers bow because of the type of people that they were. It's an identity they were needing. Psalm 9510 says they, they wandered in their hearts. They didn't know God's ways. But they wandered in here before they wandered out there. See, it's, it's a heart issue here. You know that phrase that, and I'm not being uh, racial at all in this, this, this works in a, any type of context, but the phrase that came to me as I was looking at this was, you can take the man out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the man, right? Doesn't matter, again, that's not a, that's not a I'm not aiming that at any, any particular people groups, it's the way humans are, how you're raised, what you're raised in, the identity you get from it, takes years to get. I mean, it's, you earn it, and it's there, it's ingrained, and you can be taken out of that environment, but you can't get that stuff out of there easily. You can't get that, ident that identity switched or changed. It's a hardwired identity. So they got, there, they got there quickly. They did. They traveled straight to the promised land, but it didn't work out right. Because this, this land, this new land would mean that they would have to have developed a completely renewed mind about their identity and a, with a corresponding faith in God to do what they were supposed to do, to do what they were called to do, to take it. And only three of them, according to Scripture, were actually ready, Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. Somehow, some way, Caleb and Joshua had managed to receive an identity that lined up with how God saw them, even though they were raised in slavery themselves. It really is quite the miraculous thing that they were able to say and do the things that they did. It is understandable to me that everybody else would go, hold on, wait a second. I'm questioning the prudence of this course of action. This does not resonate with me. We need more time or something. I kind of resonate with those guys saying, hold up, God, are you sure? <laughs> so we can, we can understand. Now, as they, we know how the story goes. They, they messed up. They, they were faithless. Again, it's easier for us to point at them and say, those faithless people. If I were there... <laughs> I'm afraid what I would not do, what Caleb and Joshua do, I'd be one of those idiots saying, God, I don't think we can do this. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe God can save me thoroughly because I would admit that. But here they are. They found out they're now going to be traveling around in the desert for 40 years. And God begins to institute a formation of camp and a protocol of living and for the wandering that again was going to get his purposes accomplished so that they could eventually get in and actually do what they were called to do. Obviously, the people that, uh, the, the adults at the time who refused to go in were judged. They said, you're not going to make it out of this wilderness. This is going to be your life. I'll take your 
children in, the very children you said that I was going to give to the devil, I'm going to take them and raise them up and take what I had you to take to begin with. And that's exactly what he does. So, so they, they, they live a, a life of wandering. Forty-two times they pick up and move on. Forty-two times they're moving around in this 40 years, circling in the desert. The tabernacle in this period of time was to be the center point of encampment. The tabernacle was specifically, Moses was told exactly how to make it, what to make it out of, what this was and that was, all of it terribly symbolic. The tribes were to encamp around the tabernacle in a specific manner, north, south, east, and west. We know the tribes that were north. We know the tribes south, east, west. We know the numbers of the tribes. Consequently, if you were to get overhead and look down far enough, you'd see it was a cross formed a cross in the wilderness. You can't make this stuff up. God's clearly always pointing to the fact that I want my people following the presence. They were taught to follow the presence. A fire by night, a pillar by day, God's presence would hover over that tabernacle. When it lifted and began to move, it's clear as a bell. We pick up our stuff and we follow. Easy Easy peasy. Not a lot of thinking to go along with that. Just do as you're told. And that's what they did. Moses was the spokesman. Of course, that was challenged several times. He always made it out, though, and others did not. So they were literally to follow the presence. When the cloud moved, they moved. God performed for them great care and provision through this time period. So those who were born in the wilderness were, uh, were raised up on following the presence and taught of their peculiarness because of that presence. This was the generation that Joshua and Caleb would lead into the promised land eventually, the sons and the daughters born in the wilderness. So those who were born in the wilderness were raised in an intense period of God the Father doing hands-on fathering. If you read the, the Torah, especially the book of Numbers, the things that God, he was catching them up to speed rather fast. He's saying, you're my people, here's what you do. Get it done. I mean, it was, it was a boot camp lifestyle. They were being re-identified quickly as God was visibly and terrifyingly present at times he rewired a people into an identity that has been an unprecedented force in world history through the law, through daily ritual, through yearly festivals. A people with a God identity emerged, and the planet has not been the same. The, 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 the incredible addition of what the Jewish people have brought to the table is just mind-boggling the more I study it. It's just God on a people. There's no other way to explain it. Now here's what I'd like us to do. Put ourselves in, in their shoes. You're just days away from entering an incredibly beautiful and wonderful land filled with giants and powerful people with walled fortifications. So if you can kind of put yourselves in, in, now we're back in Joshua 1 here, and we're about to get, we're about to, we've been waiting a long time, we're about to go over. This is about to happen. It's kind of exciting. 
and terrifying at the same time, right? All you've got is God and his word. Being freed from Egyptian slavery, I believe, is likened to salvation. Okay, now follow me here. Being set free from Egyptian slavery, the people, because we know the Old Testament, that 2 Corinthians tells us that these things occur to show us. They give us understandings of new covenant uh, principles and, and, and things that God's trying to teach us. So we would say you could get born again, and that is likened to being taken out of the enemy's captivity. He doesn't own you anymore. You're not his slave. You've now been taken out of that and given a, a new eternal home, okay? You're not going to spend your home in a godless place. You get to spend your eternity in God's place. However, that salvation is not enough to get you into the promised land in terms of living it out. Does that make sense? You can have a salvation. Now, we, we, this is what we teach anyway. We, we, we say that, yes, we're born again, once saved, always saved, but uh, many, many people never fully live it out. They just kind of wander, meander, don't develop, don't grow, don't ever step into a life that is visibly a manifestation of being a son of God who speaks and acts and does with the attitude of Christ on their life. Am I right or am I wrong? We see that all over the place. And scripturally, we have reason to believe that they'll be saved when it's all over, maybe by fire, but they're, they're not going to hell. So essentially, they've been released from slavery in Egypt, but they've wandered in the wilderness their whole life upon this earth. They've never crossed the Jordan in, in, this, in, in the way that I'm trying to explain it and stepped into the promised land and lived it out. That means that here's what promised land is to me. Promised land is you've got the rest, okay? You've got God says this about you, and you believe it, and you're at rest in it. You're at peace in it. It just comes off of you. You're not trying to do it. You're not working up some mask and trying to fake your way through it. It's just gotten so worked into you that every step you take is a step God takes. Every word you speak, has the spirit of the Lord on it. Does that make sense? I mean, you're a living influencer to the reality that Jesus is king and he's alive and he's real. And I'm not talking about some over-showy type of crazy Pentecostal people falling over when you walk around. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about a life of peace and joy and love and life-giving words and encouragement I'm just talking about the real thing, okay? That's what I would term for New Testament promised land, living. What God has said, you believe, spirit, soul, and body. Now, that doesn't come overnight. Do I have a witness? Yeah, that's a process, okay? But that's a worthy process to get there, to do that. So again, I'll go back to this same statement. You can take the man out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the man. You could take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't get that slavery out of them easily. Right? It's ingrained. It gets ingrained. It's who we are. It's what we know. All our emotional knee jerks are attached to it. We have a very difficult time 
really hearing and believing what God has to say about it. So here's the question. Are you a slave or are you a son or daughter of God? That's the question that's being asked. Here's the issue. You cannot cross the river or the river Jordan, typologically speaking, as I'm sharing it with you here. You can't cross the river without the correct identity. See, the identity is what empowers you to take the inheritance. The identity has the power within it for you to walk out the ability to take, step up to a giant or step up to a walled city and tell it to get out of the way. That's mine. It's the real deal. That's what it is. See, it's a cosmic code. It's a cipher, if you will. You don't get one without the other. So imagine this. You've grown up following a cloud and a fire, okay? If you're in Joshua's day, you've grown up following a cloud and a fire in the wilderness, and he's directed your every step. You're, you're likened to a kid with training wheels on, right? You're learning to ride that bike, but them wheels are helping you out quite a bit. You can do some circles. You can go all over the place, but you have those wheels are really doing quite a bit of work for you, right? That's what they're doing. The purpose of training wheels, though, is to teach us how to ride, correct? We don't want to be riding with training wheels from now on. We want to get out of the training wheels as fast as we possibly can so we can wreck. And then once you wreck, we're going through that home right now. Caleb has been having some horrific wrecks. And I'm like, Marie, that's just what happens. You wreck. And you get them back up on it, and you say, go faster. I mean, that's, that was my childhood. I wrecked all the time, and I still will ride a bike. I'm not scared of a bike. So we got training wheels on. So imagine this. You've you, you got these training wheels on, but here, here we go. You're, you're finally, you finally hear those words, we're crossing over. We're crossing over. Now that's exciting. But you're going to face some giants. And they're not fake giants. They're like real, real big ones. Real intimidating ones. Real human giants. And you're going to face them. You're going to face fortified cities. You're going to face cities that are just like Egypt. You remember Egypt? Domination. Told you what to do. With the whip. Every day. Told you how to live. We're about to face cities like that. And we're going to take them. What do you believe about yourself? Do you have the identity that's going to allow you to follow through with that? That's what we're talking about here. You know, I think about this a lot. I try to imagine... I'm a big, I love history and I, I, I love World War II and I love, you know, especially World War II because Dad loves World War II stuff. And I grew up watching all that stuff. So now, as I got older, I tried to imagine what would I do if I was on one of those boats on the way to that Normandy beach? Could I do that? You ever done that? Like tried to imagine yourself in that? Because we've seen movies that kind of bring that to life, you know, enough to go, I don't think I could do that. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about another, another level has to be working in you to get you through something that intimidating. 
That's what they're facing. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's history-making. But it's real. You're not watching a movie. This is happening right now. Is it going to trigger you into your past? Or you got to go find a corner? Hey, I'm just being real because I'm, I'm talking to myself. I don't need to talk to any of you guys. I, I can talk to myself. Paul's it, it's going to put you in a whirl. You know, you're going to turn you around, going to spin you. you you're going to crumble on me here. Is it going to trigger you back into who you think you used to be? Can you stand knowing that you are who I say you are when the bullets fly? It's a good exercise to do. Because that's at the point where you're like, God, I, I know me, and I know that unless you do this work in me, I know what I'll do. But I'm trusting you to do this work in me. I'm trusting you that you've got me on a path. I'm on my way for you to do this in me so that when the day comes, I will stand. Because this is not about me. I'm just a weak, broken human who's manipulated in every way, but you're a living God who promises to transform me from the inside out. That is the word of God. We've got to go through that process. This is the rubber meeting the road. So it, 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 I won't get into why, because I'm running out of time here, but, but I, I got into Joshua 1.10 as I was thinking through this. I got that word prepare. Prepare. And I went straight to this scripture, Joshua 1.10. says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it. Oh, my goodness, what a call. Oh, hey, this is the real deal, guys. Take off those training wheels. Get, get them off this bike. We're about, I'm about to take off on this bike. I'm going straight down a hill, going 40 miles an hour. It's pavement. If I wreck, it's going to be nasty. But I'm taking these things off. We're, I'm going. We're going. Now, here's the industry thing about this is what brought, uh, this is what caught my attention. Prepare was the one thing. Prepare. Are we preparing? Are you prepared? Have you been preparing? You can't prepare for it now and it happened tomorrow this is a this is a years in the preparation thing okay this is something you've been doing or haven't been doing the king james says it more precisely it says prepare your victuals y'all know what victuals are it's food now here that's what caught my eyes like prepare your victuals they're eating manna every day God's been fixing their meals every day. Why would they need to prepare that? What are you trying to say here, Lord? This is what I think he was trying to prepare them for. You know, they had to leave Egypt quickly, and one of the verses is they didn't get to prepare their food. They just had to go. See, so these, these types of resources we've got to trust the Lord for. But here's, here's the issue. Okay, let me try to bring this out. God was taking the training wheels off, and then he was giving them an enormous amount of motivation to work with. He's, he's saying, look, sink or swim right here. You want to live? You better fight to eat. Because they're not going to let you walk around their city and eat everything you want and just kind of hang out. We're going, and this is going to get real fast. 
and you're going to sink or swim. The word prepare, have we prepared? You know what they've been eating, the word manna means what is it? That's what it literally means, what is it? And I thought of this little ditty, this is really good. Has the what is it that you've been eating transformed you into what it is? Has the what is it that God has been giving you? This is the, this is the what is it. What is it all about? What is it all for? What do we do this for? Why are we going through these rituals? Why do we read the Bible every day? What is that about? Is the what is it transforming you into what it is? The manna is the bread come down from heaven. It, it tells you what it is. It, and, and Jesus says, I am the bread come down from heaven. It's me. Have we been eating Jesus in a way that we're becoming like him? That's really what it comes down to. And you're going to find out when it's time to move, when it's time to go from here to there, you're going to find out whether what you've been doing has actually turned into you having an identity that's going to allow you to keep up with the Lord. I believe that's where we're headed. I believe that's where this is all going. It's got to turn us into a son and daughter of God with inheritance we're about to find out if this has happened in us you know what Achan found out he found out it, it hadn't happened Achan found out he needed Jesus plus a nice little Babylonian robe and some silver and gold that's what he found out and he cost it cost him his life and everybody he loved is what it cost him and that's not a story, folks. That's real life because bad leadership will cost you everything and everybody that loves you everything as well. And you're going to be, you're, we're all sacrificing something in this lifetime. You better be sacrificing the right things. You better know what that is. You better, know, you better have the wisdom of God to know what it is I can sacrifice that God will redeem and what it is I can sacrifice that I get nothing for, less than zero just a wasted life, just nothingness, no promised land whatsoever, just wandering in the wilderness. And yes, you'll get heaven when you get there. Praise the Lord for that. But what about the glory of God being seen in this time frame? That's what it's all about. It's Him in us. Here's the question. Do you believe what God has to say about you? that identity and that relationship with God that that identity gives is the only thing that's going to sustain you where he's taking it. That's, it's got to live. It's got to be real. You've got to, this has got to be so in you that you move with him when he moves. The new you. The in Christ version of you. Eat it. What is it? It's Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. It's his word become flesh. Jesus was the bread come down from heaven. Now let me give you a little picture of this. In the flesh, Jesus was this. The bread come down from heaven. In the flesh. He walked among them, these disciples. He led them. He did mighty miracles. He trained them to follow his presence. And he sacrificed himself. He's the bread broken for me and you. He sacrifices himself, and he tells the disciples beforehand, he says, it'll be better if I go, because if I go, I'll send the comforter. See, I'll multiply myself. If I lay myself down, then I can multiply myself in a multitude of you, and you can be a lot of little yous who look like me. 
See, it's better that I go. And we would say to that, no, Jesus, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Clearly, it will be better if you stay. You can hear Peter, Peter telling him that right now. That's the worst idea I've ever heard, Jesus. It will be a clearly better idea for you to continue on as you have been, leading us along, doing all the work, and letting us reap the benefits of it all. Just take the throne, we'll sit here, and I'll sit here, and it's just going to be awesome. Jesus says, no, that's not what I got planned. Because if I don't go, you'll never develop. You'll be the same person who's looking at me with those same human eyes, needing to see a visible manifestation of me do what I do, and you'll never step in to the eyes of the heart and a new identity that I'm laying my life down to give you. And it just has to be done. It's the way of God. See, Jesus worked himself out of a job in three and a half short years. He says, I'll show you the way. I'll train you up. I'll reconnect you with God. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll give you a great commandment and a great commission. That's an incredible purpose. I'm not doing it all for you. I'm going back to the Father. And I'm raising you up as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters who look like me. Same spirit. He will require that you and I believe his word and live by faith in that word and in his invisible presence and not by our human sight. Now, Judas didn't make this transition, right? He didn't make it. Peter did. Barely. Because Peter chose to believe who Jesus said that he was, the rock of the church. Je Peter could easily said, and it, he struggled with it too. He, he, Peter's like, well, I, I think I'm the backstabber, Jesus. I think that's who I really am, the backstabber. I mean, I just stabbed you in the back. I'm really feeling bad about that. I think that's who I am. He says, no, I, you're not a backstabber. You're, you're the rock. You don't listen to what your own voice tells you. You listen to what I tell you. Have we all stabbed Jesus in the back? Yes. In some form or fashion? Yes. Would we have done what Peter did? Yes. The unconditional love of God is greater than we can imagine. And we have to let our past be our past and let his word be our present and future. See, because it's one or the other. You don't get to step into the promised land without the identity that would send you there. That comes from the very mouth of God. And so Jesus spent a little extra time saying, Peter, who are you? Who are you, Peter? Who are you, Peter? And who am I, more importantly? So I think we all know, and I'm finishing up here, I think we all know we have some changes to make so that we stay true to the call of God that's on the church. God is moving us out of the wilderness and into the promised land of rest. That's what I feel is taking place right now. In between this period of time, between the Passover, that's an unprecedented Passover, and moving into May 31st, which is a, um, which is a Pentecost, it's a period of transition. It's the same transition Jesus made with the disciples between his death, burial, and resurrection, which happened on the... Passover and then in the birthing of the church on Pentecost 
He was going from a, I'm here, and now I'm not here, but I have the same voice. You can see me, now you can't see me, I have the same voice. Follow me. I'm going to say the same things about you I've already always said about you. I can do that, and I'm, I have the authority to do that because I have all authority, because I've earned all authority, I've gained all authority, because I did everything that my Father asked me to do. And that's how you get that. And so I have it to give, but you've got to listen to my voice and you've got to be there. God's moving us out of the wilderness and into the promised land of rest where God says we are mighty warriors, more than conquerors, and we believe him. And our lives have to reveal it. How we meet together and what we do when we meet are revealing that we have eaten the manna and it has turned us into little Christ who are on mission. It's the missional church that I believe God's calling us into. It's a movement. It's not a meeting. It's a movement. It's a call to the world. A reproducing, the missional church, a reproducing community of authentic disciples being equipped as missionaries sent by God to live and proclaim His kingdom in their world. That's the missional church. That is the mission. That's the whole purpose. Mission being understood as being derived from the very nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sending the church into the world, a movement from God to the world. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. There's not a mission because there's a church. There is a church because there's a mission for the church to accomplish. We have to be doing that. It's our entire reason for being. So I like this quote. I mean, we could beat each other over the head about how awful we are, how terrible we are, how much biggest sinners we are. And what I know about human psychology says that whatever you got on your brain the most is what you're going to do. So that's not a good idea to focus on how awful you are. It's better to, now, are we awful? Yes. And your awfulness needs you turn, to, turn you to the voice of the Lord so you can hear what he has to say about you so that your awfulness just gives you more dependence upon his words as they come down from heaven that we would eat them and they would be, that we would become like him because we're literally eating. What is it? And what is it? It's the bread come down from heaven. It's Jesus. Eat it. Become it. So rather than saying we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to do this we gotta, i love this quote listen to this quote if you want to build a ship don't drum up the men to gather wood divide the work and give orders instead teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea can you imagine a church filled with the spirit of god living in rest and going for it in the mission of god can we imagine can we think rehearsing scriptures like like isaiah 60 through 65 and some of those things that are spoken that are hard to believe and looking at the looking at the the period of joshua where that generation went in and took that land or looking at the disciples who turned the world upside down these are periods in history where we find out this is the endless sea the vast and endless sea that's right out here the excitement of following the king of glory into the mission that he paid for us to get to take and part of and get into it's the identity that comes from the lord that's what i'm encouraging us to do tonight 
as I know, I feel, guys, I feel in my spirit that this is sort of like what I've been waiting for my whole life, too. Been eating this manna, eating this manna, eating this manna, eating this manna. What is it? It's not just to eat manna. There's a purpose in the eating of the manna so that the training wheels get taken off and we begin to do things that only God could do. And it comes down to, a, to a, an identity, what you really believe. What are you full of? Are you a slave to the enemy or are you a son of God who's been trained up and prepared to do the mission of God? Am I worthy of that? No, but Jesus is. And it's his inheritance. And he could have gotten it all himself if he stayed here, but he said, no, I want you to give me some of my inheritance. I want to raise you up so you can give me some of my inheritance. Everything we do is for him. It's for his glory, and we get to share in it because we're a family. A family, eternally. It's time to show the world that we serve a living God who has given us a new identity. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for what you've done. Lord, forgive us for our slowness of heart. I, just, I, I remember you saying that over and over and over to your disciples. Oh, you guys, so slow of heart to believe. God, would you give us grace to step into the truth and cross the Jordan and begin to take the promised land, live in the rest that you paid an awesome price for us to have, a new identity. It's a heavenly identity. It's an in Christ identity. May we believe it, spirit, soul, and body, heart, mind, and soul. May we love you with all, all of our hearts, Lord, and may we live out the Great Commission. Lord, I'm just believing you're moving in this way and that you're going to do the work that only you can do in and through us. May we say yes to you and your ways. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.